You want to talk about a conviction? There's a conviction. Our house, our town, Duke football. One intention. One intention. That's to kick their Kick their Ten games down and one to go in the 2020 Duke football season, and it's safe to say we are all ready for the final game to be in the books. Thank you, as always, for joining us for the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, and Jamie Holtz. And fellas, lather, rinse, repeat. Seems we are talking about the same game over and over and over again, or the same Blue Devils performance over and over and over again, as the Devils, well, they got shut out for the first time since Cut's first year in 2008, losing 48 to nothing to the Miami Hurricanes. And boy, Brian, was it a butt whooping. I don't know about you, but I sat there and watched it on TV. I took it like a rebellious middle school son, my spanking. It was it hurt over and over again multiple times. Uh, but man, I tell you what, what an incredibly horrible performance that the Duke football team put on. Um, we're going to get into the numbers. We're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, there was maybe one or two bright spots in the entire game, possibly. Even those bright spots had flaws. But uh, this team looked like it melded in. And I'll be honest with you, um, the fan base has melded in. We see it on our podcast numbers and stuff. Like, people have melded in. It is what it is at this point. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's nothing good to say about what happened. I'm right there with you. I sat there and watched this entire game. And, like, it's like I was watching a train wreck, like, just on, you know, just sitting there just watching it unfold, like the catastrophe that I, I just couldn't look away. Like, I, I literally could not look away because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, after all the things – I mean, we've said on here that we thought Cut is past his prime. But I never I – di- I just didn't see a 48 to nothing shellacking coming. Like, I mean, it was just – and Miami tried to give us a chance to start the game. They tried. Like, Miami was not – they played pretty poorly out of the gate. Uh, we had our chances. Uh, Chase, one of the bright spots, was 20 of 25. We talked about this before we came on the air. Uh, but 3.8 yards per pass, that's not going to get it done. But I'm not going to put this on Chase. The O-line was not giving him any time at all. I mean, he had, what, like a second maybe to make a decision before Miami was in his face. Um, we couldn't run the ball. Miami's just – I mean – Miami's just a better team. They just steamrolled us from the start. And I'm not surprised uh, from what Brian said. Uh, this is our first shutout since Cut's first year. I remember Cut saying when he first came that this was the most lazy, out-of-shape team he had ever seen in his life that he was taking over. And it seems like to me that we are reverting back to where we were pre-Coach Cutcliffe. You know, there's a, a, I think it's a kid's song. You know, it's like, this is the song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friend. That's what this season is. And it's, it's just what it turned into. It's turned into a kid's song. And, I mean, 
we're obviously we're not foolish enough to believe that this team was as good as they were against Notre Dame and as bad as they were against Miami. What happened in between? And, you know, it's just crazy to see how bad tackling, arm tackling, not blocking. I mean, like Jamie just said, this is probably the worst performance of the O-line I think I've ever seen. Now, that doesn't take anything away from Miami because Miami has a very good defensive line. And Jalen Phillips was just everywhere. That kid's going to go make some money here this next year. But he was everywhere. So, you know, it's just frustrating, um, you know, like the guys were saying. Now, I will say this. I was watching the, the, the first part of the game I watched on my smaller screen because I was actually watching a real football game, BYU, the Mormons versus the Mullets. That was a little more exciting, a little more entertaining, and actually meant a whole lot more to me than watching Duke just play like crap. So, you know, we, we've gone from the first podcast or second podcast where we did our predictions, where eight and three was what I, what I said. At this point, I don't even care anymore. And I, I hate to be like that, but it's just frustrating. If they're going to keep going out there and playing the same way, and the coaches are going to keep coaching the same way, then I can see why fans lose interest. Now, like everybody else, I'll sit down Saturday and I will watch the game. I, I will honestly watch it because I'm just that foolish or, I don't know, just messed up in the head. But it's just frustrating. And I'm okay. I was okay with 0-11 back in the day. I knew 0-11, knew it was going to happen. I was okay with it. If we went out there and gave a team, you know, 35 minutes worth of football that was decent, Okay, cool. Awesome. I was happy about it when I went home. But when I'm sitting here watching these four-star guys get destroyed and I'm watching these coaches just basically – we thought last year's play column was bad under Roper. Nah, bro. This been worse this year. And I don't know what in the world's happening. I don't know if the dog ate the homework and that's why we, we're just calling plays off a of half a sheet because we can't read it up in the booth. I don't know. But it's just – it's frustrating – and I know everybody's getting frustrated, so I'm trying not to bring down the podcast right now. But, you know, it's, it, hopefully this week we'll get out there and we'll play a whole lot better. But if we keep playing like this, man, something has to change. Dr. Kevin White and Dr. Price need to do something because this is just unwatchable. I think about that uh, meme of the dog sitting in the cafe and there's flames all over the place. And he goes, this is fine. I mean, I think that's how some people, maybe some folks in the administration – are are thinking right now like and to to the people that i've talked to and this is just me getting on my soapbox a little bit saying well this has been an off year this is COVID year this shouldn't count blah 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 tell me another acc school that it has regressed like this from 19 to 20. maybe virginia tech maybe but every other team especially in the um coastal for sure has seemed to improve on every asset that I can think of. I mean, and I'm going to give a number out from, we're going to go back to the game here, 524 to 177. That's the total yards for both teams. 347 yard difference. Now, Miami's the number nine team in the nation, and they should be throwing up 524 yards. But we just, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket science. You can tell these boys are ready to be over with these with the season. 
And I don't think there's anything that can be said or done to, to get them through this Florida State game as quickly as possible. Um, you know, and we'll get to Florida State here in a second, but there needs to be some come-to-Jesus talks as we get to the end of this year. I'm just, you know, to Scott's point, I hope it's the administration having to talk with Cutcliffe either here are your two options. You've done a lot for us. You've gotten the program back the way it was. We appreciate your services. But here's the door, or you're going to need to make wholesale changes. Plain and simple. I mean, there, there's there's no other way to put it. There, I mean, we're all frustrated. We're the ones that care and obviously doing a podcast for for this team. But, you know, we're also honest. You know, we're, we're not – we don't have blinders on. Uh, we're not the type of fans to be to say, oh, well, he's won at least two games in a season, so he should stay on. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want to be back in that, that era and that time to where the stadium's, you know, 10% full and they're letting everyone in because it's human being day. I remember those days. They're trying anything and everything to get folks in the stands. You know, we need to get back to the, to the days of the 2012, 13, and 14 seasons to where – People took notice of us. We were ranked. We, you know, started getting highly touted recruits to come in and actually give us a shot, give us a chance. Uh, but as we've discussed in, in episodes past, Cut's hard-headed, plain and simple. He is definitely it's my way or the highway type mentality, and he will not change. And unfortunately, I think that was his undoing at, at Ole Miss, um, based off of everything that I read leading up to that but again, we've got one game left to see if we can pull it out. But even if we win, it'll be the worst Duke football record since 2011. And if we lose, think about this. If we lose, it will be the worst record since Ted Roof's last season in 2007. I never thought I would say that with a, with a David Cutcliffe team. Something to ponder. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Brian. And going back, Scott, you mentioned songs, man. This this uh, this season and this team. Uh, shout out to Lincoln Park, man. They just bring me one step closer to the edge, and I'm about to break. You know, that's kind of the every time I watch the games, I'm just about to lose it. But to what you guys said, to the uh, just the anemic offense. Um, first of all, Chase did have a nice completion percentage 20 for 25 which is great and I'm genuinely that's a good thing uh not not throwing an interception that is genuinely a good thing but to average fewer than four yards per pass you're not even really that's not even a passing game you're basically running the ball at that point and uh, and that's just so so that's skewed so let's you know I appreciate it it's good um but at the end of the day that's that's not great. Second thing, you mentioned Jalen Phillips. There was one specific play. My man, he pushed three offensive linemen out of the way. Three. He literally got by three guys and got to chase. That is – it looked like men and boys out there playing football. It looked like, it looked like uh, a, a powerhouse high school football team – played their 40 and older alma mater boys out there or something. It was, it was terrible. Um, and then guys, we haven't even brought this up yet. Five freaking turnovers. This brings our season accumulative stats for turnovers 
to 35. 35 turnovers. There has not been a team with more than 35 turnovers in 10 games in over a decade. It is absolutely crazy. We are approaching a couple of records there. I think there's one record that's like 38 or 39. There's another record that's 42. Heck, I wouldn't put it past us. We definitely could, could reach that 39 to 40 uh, mark. <coughs> but, but that is just, once again, an indictment on the leadership and the coaching staff that is leading this team. And, and we can no longer just sit back as Duke fans. Here's the thing. The Duke fans that want to point to the pre-cut cliff era, here's the problem. And I hope every one of you that listen to this podcast that think this way are listening right now. If you think that we ought to look back at the pre-cut cliff era and let Cutcliffe do whatever he wants to do, consider this. Cutcliffe raised the bar. He did this. He's the one who took us from the 0-11 seasons. He's the one who put us in the ACC championship game. He's the one who got us into those bowl games. He's the one who looked the media in the eye and said, this is what you're to expect from Duke football. Duke football, heck yeah, Duke football. I'm a pastor, so I won't say it. You know, heck yeah, Duke football. That, that's David Cutcliffe. That's the guy. And so he raised the bar. So when you raise your own bar, you've got to continue. You've got to stay there. He raised it. And when you can't stay there, you got to make changes. You mentioned Ole Miss. The reason he got fired at Ole Miss is they said go in and make wholesale changes to your coaching staff. He was uber loyal to his coaching staff. He refused to make those changes. He got fired. Rumor has it the reason he wouldn't go to Tennessee is because Tennessee said, if you come here, we are going to hire your coaching staff, and he refused to do it. At the end of the day, Cut, Cut is not willing to make those changes. Zach Roper, I don't know if Cut was calling plays or Zach Roper was calling plays. It sucked last year. It sucks this year. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, he refused to get rid of Zach Roper. Zach Roper still living in a cushy, cushy house with a cushy salary, not, and now not even having to feel the wrath of the Duke fans because Cut feels it. So, like, at the end of the day, Cut created this monster. This is his fault. He could have very easily kept us at three or four wins a season, and all of our expectations would have stayed low. But you know what? He went out and did a freaking good job for about five to seven years. And so guess what? We expect it. And it doesn't have to be ACC championship game every year. We're about to talk about Florida State. We don't have to be playing Florida State in Charlotte in December every year. But, man, we need to be at six wins. We need to be five wins at least, and we need to be seven, eight wins every couple seasons. That's where we can be. What Duke fans deserve it, and it's not going to be long. The iron, listen, we know who rose the boat here. Whoever the Brooks family is, they call it, they, they name the field after him. There's some iron Duke, there's some heavy hitters in the iron Dukes that at the end of the day are just going to be tired of throwing their money down the tubes. So at some point in time, it's going to come to a head. Uh, but money talks, Kevin White, we put out a poll. I'm pretty sure Kevin White doesn't even watch Duke football games. So he's not, he's not even sure what's going on. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, I don't think he's going to make the call. It's going to be – Cut's going to be here next year unless he retires. Just is what it is. But the standard's been set, and it's been set by David Cutcliffe, and now it needs to be lived up to by David Cutcliffe. We thought that the offense couldn't get any worse than, than last year with Roper, but whew, it appears to be getting worse to me. I mean, come on. I can call a better game on Madden. Like, I mean, we're sitting here – I'm sitting here looking at the TV and thinking, like, well, you should, you should run, you know, you should run left. So it looks like looks like there's a hole over there, but we run right, and it 
but whatever. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is I think Cut should make wholesale changes, hire an innovative young offensive coordinator. Once again, he doesn't have to be young. could be an older guy. Just an innovative offensive coordinator to come in and run the offense and Cut just take a step back from it because I really believe that that's, that was part of the problem with Roper was Cut was all over him. Uh, you know, while he was calling plays. So that, that to me, now we're seeing it, that that had cuts handprints all over it. Um, so an innovative, you know, offensive coordinator. I think our defense overall is pretty good, although we got steamrolled by Miami on sat- on Saturday. They, they, they appear to have melded in. I mean, that's if we're being honest. But I like our, I, I like our defensive staff, and I like, I like the way the defense is trending or had been trending up until – the last few games, um, but I think everybody's basically melded in. And I look at when I was looking at who we could be like. Why can't why can't Cut have us like Stanford, like Northwestern? I mean, I'm not asking like Northwestern this year is in the top ten. I'm not asking to be in the top ten. I'm not asking to compete for national titles, but six wins. Seven wins, eight wins, drop back to five wins. I mean, you know that, that that's reasonable. Occasionally compete for a coastal title. Yeah, and even Wake Forest. I mean, Wake Forest is right down the road. Look at them; they're just smooth sailing, and they're beating us like a drum every year. I just I don't get it. Uh, this is I don't think that Duke is going to move on from Cutcliffe this year. I think if anything happens. It would be cut to retire. Uh, I think that's. I mean, that's possible that he could have got. He could get fed up and just absolutely retire. I don't see Duke actually moving on from cut this year. Yeah, at this point, you know, the more we talk about it, the the thing that pops into my head is the the Kevin Bacon scene in Animal House, where he stands there, all is well, no need to worry, and then he gets trampled. And that's kind of like Duke football right now. Everybody's standing up there to, oh, all is well. Everything's fine. And then we get steamrolled. We give up 56. Then we give up 56. Then we give up 48. And then in, in the fact that we give up 48, we don't score a point. So the one, one other thing, and I know we don't, we don't talk about the other sport, but I, am gonna, I do want to make a point about the other sport for a second. Years, about five years ago, six years ago, everybody jumped on Coach K. Because why are you playing man-to-man defense? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? You're just stubborn. You're just doing it your way. You're just being an old man. And Kay has actually adapted some in the last five years. The more he worked with the U.S. team, he actually became more innovative. And now he's running different offenses and stuff that we would not have run 10 years ago at Duke because of all the influence he's had on the NBA. So if Kay can do it, who is the greatest basketball coach of all time, in our opinion, definitely. Why in the world can't Cut do the same thing and just say, you know what, maybe let's start from scratch. I I know I don't want to get rid of these guys, but if I want to keep a job and I want to make make Duke football what Duke football is what what I had 10 years ago, why in the world don't I just go ahead and sit down, figure this out, like – you said a minute ago, bring in a new offensive coordinator, young, old. I don't care. But bring in – just bring in some new blood. 
We brought in Trooper Taylor. That helped the wide receivers out some. But right now we can't get the ball to the wide receivers because we have not even – by the time he slaps his hands together, Jalen Phillips is standing in front of him before the ball gets there. So, you know, just – that was my you know, little soapbox again. But we, we've got to do something. And I think that's the biggest thing that we're all thinking about right now. There's got to be something we can do, and not we, that they need to do to make Duke football better. And, I mean, if they want to take our suggestions, we will happily help them any way possible for a nominal fee. Well, John Latina, let's, let's just go back to that then. 2015, John Latina and David Cutcliffe can't get along. John Latina, quote, unquote, retires. And, that, and we've never been the same. Listen, Daniel Jones, he played four, three years of football, three years at Duke, and he never, ever had an O-line. Not one of those years did he have an O-line that could protect him to where he could actually go through his progressions. Ironically, uh, this season, the Giants have actually put together something decent minus Saquon with him and given him a little bit more time, and you're seeing what he can do. Look, they just won last week with him, with him out with an injury and Colt McCoy back there. It just shows you if your O line can keep the D line, that can keep the the pass rush away from you, you can win football games. Um, even with a quarterback that's a game manager, you can do that. But when your O line sucks and when you lose in the trenches on the offensive side of the football, at the end of the day, you're not going to win. So, I mean, look, we could talk all, all we want about whatever other changes and play calling and blah blah blah. But when our O line and the scheme we're running is getting absolutely blown apart all the time we're not going to be a good football team. But, you know, Scott, I understand where you're coming from, what you're saying with Cutcliffe locking himself in the room, figuring it out. But when has he ever done that from what we've discussed, from what we've said? You know, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be real. And, you know, we were talking about this before we started, you know, the recording of this podcast. But as a fan, me personally, do I want to slowly rip off the Band-Aid, possibly give Cutcliffe another year, and we go – Two and ten, three and nine again. Saying it, it might not happen. Who knows? We turn things around. I will eat crow the very you know next year. You record it, you know, mark it, save it until next year. But let's say it's the same as this year. Well, guess what? We just spent another year going through the same exact thing, and now we're starting the coaching search. And it's not, oh, well, it was just an off year. It was a pandemic. It was 2020. No, now it's, oh, that's two years in a row. Something's really going on here. And I had some folks tell me, well, whoever replaces Cud, if they're an up-and-coming coach, well, they won't stay long. How do we know that? You want to know the last coach that did that to us? The old ball coach, almost 40 years ago, you know, late, late 80s, and Florida courted him. 30, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm not good at math. Thank you, Scott. Scott's telling me 30 uh, uh, on the screen. But that's, that's just how we think. We, we try to think long-term picture. We think the future. And again, just from what we're seeing in this one year, and Josh hit the nail on the head. Cutcliffe raised the bar so high that we haven't seen a bar that high since Steve Spurrier back in the late 80s. Something that we never thought we would see again. You know, I know we're beating a dead horse with a stick, and we're going to move on here to Florida State in a second. But it's just we want we want what we had, you know, back the, again in the years of 13, 14, 15, the years that we even go to a bowl game. That's something that we couldn't say from 1995 to 2000 and um, I think it was 12 was when we went to the belt goal. 
belt ball. But, and we don't want to go through that again. We don't want to go through another 20 years of misery. And again, like I said, if next year comes and Cutcliffe's still here, prove me wrong. Prove us wrong. Prove the naysayers wrong. You do that, I will happily shake your hand if I ever meet you and say, I was wrong. You proved me wrong. But for right now, I, I got nothing to go – or there's nothing else to go off of. Yeah, I, I agree. And, I mean, just one final thing before we head and switch and uh, go over to FSU. Um, our quarterback play, and we've mentioned Chase a couple times, um, obviously has not been good. In fact, the numbers on Chase Bryce this year, he has 19 turnovers himself. 19 himself. 13 interceptions. He actually has eight fumbles, but only six of them are counted against us because he only, we only lost six of them. So for a total of 19 turnovers, that is more turnovers than 117 FBS football teams. One player. Once again, is that, is that all Chase's fault? Absolutely not. We've talked about it tonight. It's not all his fault, but, but that's, those are just the facts. And once again, this is a pro-Gunner Holmberg podcast. Everyone that's listening to this podcast knows we're pro-Gunner, but let's face it. Too many times he gets thrown in that game, and, and sometimes it's the very first play. This past uh, two games ago, it was a bad snap on the first play. This game, it was a fumble on the very first play, another interception. So at the end of the day, I don't know what the quarterback situation looks like, but daggone, Luca better get a, at least a good look next year at running this team as a redshirt freshman. So we're going to move on. We can beat this dead horse. We're, and next week is our season wrap-up podcast anyway. Um, so you're going to hear some more of that um, after uh, this weekend's game. But this weekend's game um, is against a, a familiar foe for the Blue Devils recently. Um, that is the Florida State Seminoles. We've seemed to get them, um, our, our, our friends from Tallahassee, uh, off and on throughout the years. And, um, man, we almost beat them the last time we played them. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But as we, as we do every week, as you know, this is the not-yet-sponsored Tail of the Cape feet, feet, Brian Kennedy, the tail of the tape. Brian. Someone called it the tail of the tail when they reached out to us. So that was uh, <laughs> made you laugh, you know. At, at least people are listening, which I which I appreciate. Okay, tail of the tape. Florida State Seminoles last year. Florida State went six and seven and made it to the Sun Bowl, where they lost to the Arizona State Sun Devils twenty to fourteen. Now currently, FSU is only two and six. Yet another team that Duke is playing that has not played in quite some time. FSU has not played since November 14th, where they lost to NC State 38-22. to Their last two games against Clemson and UVA canceled due to COVID-19. Now, overall, in the heads-up matchup, this is the 18th overall game between Duke and Florida State. And, yes, Duke has never won against Florida State. They are 0-18. Who knows? Maybe they buck the trend this weekend and go one for 19. We'll see. Now, the first game between the two teams took place back in 1992 when in Tallahassee where FSU defeated Duke 48-21. to Now, the two teams would play against each other every year from 1992 to 2007. 
Now, after the conference realignment in 2008, Duke and FSU have only played four times since then, 2011, 2012, 2013 in Charlotte for the ACC title game, and most recently in 2017. Now, after this year's game, Duke and FSU will not play against each other until 2024. Gotta love these ACC schedules that are coming together between Atlantic and Coastal. And all-time, David Cutcliffe is 0-4 against the Seminoles of Florida State. I even double-checked Ole Miss records. He'd never played Florida State while he was at Ole Miss. So 0-4 while at Duke against Florida State. Now, for a very interesting did you know on Florida State, SOD games, S-O-D, SOD games, are games which carry a great amount of importance for the Florida State program. Now, whether it's national championships, road underdog wins, road wins versus Florida, ACC title games, or bowl wins, when Florida State wins a SOD game, the Seminoles cut out a piece of turf from the field which the game was played on, and they take the SOD back to Tallahassee and plant the turf in the SOD cemetery complete with its own headstone. Now, when I first read this, and I'm not done with the did you know, I was like, this can't be true. Google FSU Sod Cemetery, you'll thank me later. Now, the tradition has carried on for six decades and began in 1962 when FSU professor Dean Coyle Moore issued a challenge to the team to, quote, bring back some sod from between the hedges at Georgia. The Knowles knocked off Georgia that day 18 to nothing in Sanford Stadium when team captain Gene McDowell pulled a piece of small grass from the field and presented it to the professor at the next practice in Tallahassee. Professor Moore and FSU coach at the time, Bill Peterson, buried the side on the practice field and a monument was placed to commemorate the win. And the rest was history. Now, FSU captains are tasked with burying the opponent's turf in the Sod Cemetery outside the gates of the practice field. A tombstone is placed above each patch of the turf's resting place, along with the score and the date of the game. Certainly a very unique tradition, and did you know, for the Florida State Seminoles. And fellas, I was thinking back to last week's episode, and we had a lot of fun talking about uh, Miami players that we you know, enjoyed watching growing up and, and witnessing play both in college and maybe even the NFL or in the WWE, Scott with the Rock. So Florida State, another powerhouse football team, uh, have a lot of players that have gone to the NFL, gone on to do great things. So let's just keep it going. Who is your favorite FSU player of all time? Now, Scott, I, I got to start with you, man. I mean, you had such a great Miami player last week. Who you got this week for us? Well, there's so many great uh, Florida State former players, and it's really hard to uh, pull from, to be honest with you. But um, since last week I kind of went down the road of Hollywood, I decided we'd go down this road again. And to be honest with you right now, Porter Wilson is doing his best impression of looking like Mr. Burt Reynolds. Now, that mustache he's got is grade A, 100% awesome. So, Porter Wilson, you're the man. You're still the MVP of the team. But uh, Burt Reynolds, obviously, um, played football there back in the day. Uh, one of the many things that he was known for was being in the original Longest Yard. Um, to me, one of, the, one of the best football movies of all time. And then he really, you know, 
the probably the biggest uh, role he ever he ever had was smoke in Smokey and the Bandit. And you know everybody I'm sure has seen that at least a hundred times in their lives. And you know Burt Reynolds has, has been a great was always a great actor. Um, he was a great football player from what I understand. Because as old as I am, I don't remember him playing. But I've always heard great things. My dad's always told me great things. So, you know, knowing that he was such a great actor and enjoyed watching all the movies he was in, Burt Reynolds is my guy this week. Hey, that's awesome. Uh, the stash, you know, all that good stuff. Um, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction here. And certainly there are many, many um, talented former Seminoles um, that have done great things um, on the football field, off the football field, whatever, what have you. Um, I'm actually going to go with former Florida State running back, Warwick Dunn. Now, Warwick Dunn on the field uh, was an incredible uh, football player. For basically three out of his four seasons, he rushed for over 1,000 yards a season, uh, and he caught – he had over 300 receiving yards per season. Um, his junior year, a total of 16 touchdowns. His senior year, a total of 14 touchdowns. He was fifth in, Heisman, in the Heisman Trophy voting in 1996. He went on to play in the NFL with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and most of what we remember work done would probably be from the Atlanta Falcons. Had a successful career and was a great football player. But that's not why – I wanted to nominate him or to talk about Warwick Dunn. I learned about this a few years ago, but the Warwick Dunn Charity Foundation um, began doing something <coughs> that they call Homes for the Holidays. Um, and to date, uh, the Warwick Dunn Charities have furnished 185 houses in 24 different markets, uh, serving over 500 people and here's what they do they go in and assist single mothers with down payments for homes and then they furnish those homes they put furniture in them they stock the fridge they stock the pantry and they move single uh, parent families into these homes now here's what's pretty cool about it number one this was started because Wart Dunn's mother herself was a single mom who struggled all of his uh, life growing up and he did that to give back to her and then that became something he wanted to do in the community here's the here's the really cool stat of the 185 houses that they have uh, worked on and, and the families they've worked with 92 percent of those families still remain in those homes which is an incredible thing uh, this is not done strictly by uh, work done <clears throat> now he has got donors that help with this. And in fact, if you would like to be a part of what he does, uh, helping single moms get their families in homes, if you go to WDC.org, WDC Wart Dunn Charities, WDC.org, you too could donate and be a part of what he does. I thought that was absolutely an incredible thing, knowing that even after football's over, he is still doing it. And so I love that. 185 families. 92% of them are still living in those homes. It's pretty incredible. Well, we did this <clears throat> last week, and a couple of us are wrestling fans. Uh, and Scott's was a whole lot better last week because the Rockets 
insanely popular. But at Florida State, they had a guy by the name of Ron Simmons. And he started his career at Florida State. Uh, he was a defensive tackle. He went there between the years of 1977 and 1980. And, and as a junior and senior, he earned consensus All-America honors back-to-back -back years. Um, Florida State won quite a bit while he was there. They finished in the top 23 times uh, and earning back-to-back -back Orange Bowl trips. And after um, – in, in Simmons' senior season, he actually finished in the top 10 in Heisman voting, which is amazing for a defensive tackle. That's just crazy. You don't hear about that. And in 2008, he was inducted into the College Hall of Fame. He played – he had a short stint in professional football. He played two years for Cleveland. And then um, there was a couple other stints and a couple other – the USFL with Tampa Bay – but uh, that just didn't really work out for him for whatever reason. So then he went on to become a professional wrestling star where in professional wrestling, the WWE actually recognizes Ron Simmons as the first black world heavyweight champion ever in professional wrestling history, which is that's saying a lot. And he went on to win many championships and he's a colorful character on screen and off the screen. And he was, as I was growing up, he was one of my, one of my all-time favorites. Well, I'm going with a guy, and, you know, last week I, I was talking about Michael Irvin growing up watching him, you know, for my beloved Cowboys. I'm going to go with another guy that played for the Cowboys but was also a, a two-sport major, as I like to say, Neon, Deion Sanders. Uh, very flamboyant, but, you know, he talked the talk, and he certainly walked the walk. Two-time Super Bowl champion, um, football Hall of Fame, uh, he was on the NFL Network as an analyst. He's now a, a head football coach at Jackson State. Played baseball for five different teams. I mean, the man was – he was a renaissance man. He could do everything. He was, was kind of like Bo Jackson. Yes, he played for the 49ers. He played – I mean, he was a good player, too. He wasn't some guy that just wanted to um, just play to play. Yes, he played for the Giants for a year, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Splashing his Giants jersey – or shirt, I should say. But um, – he was, he was cool before cool was cool. Um, I mean, again, watching the – listen, watching the, um, the documentary on the U, I think he mentioned it. He was mentioned in there a couple of times, if I remember correctly. But, I mean, the gold chains that the, the flat-top hairdo at Florida State, two-time All-American. I, I just loved his dance into the end zone when he would intercept, like – he didn't care if he pissed you off because he knew he was that good. Um, and it's just been – it was fun to watch him play both um, baseball and football for both my teams, the Atlanta Braves as well. Uh, but I just loved the way he, he conducted himself, except for maybe throwing that cool all over Tim McCarver after the Braves won the, uh, the world championship. But other than that, you know. Um, but, I, but, again, Dion. He was one of my favorite players of all time and, uh, you know, really, really happy to be able to watch him play and progress in both sports. Yeah, I hope you, I hope you guys are enjoying that little segment. We think we're going to continue that each week um, as we continue the podcast and just, just some people that we appreciate from the opposing team um, and, and, and whatnot. <clears throat> By the way, Dion is already landing some decent recruits at Jackson State, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what he does with that program. Uh, for sure. Uh, but we got Florida State coming up, and um, we'll be down in Tallahassee across our fingers. Then we get to play the game. Uh, we know how that goes. 
uh, with with COVID and whatnot. But um, we've we've lost a huge national game this this week. So uh, as of today, the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Michigan Wolverines um, have been lost, and, and our Ohio State friends. We've heard the whines and the cries all the way down here in the Carolinas for sure. But, um, you know, that's the Big Ten, and that's what you get for being in that crappy conference. But anyway, Duke Florida State this weekend, um, we're looking forward to possibly – I mean, if there, is a, if there is a year to beat Florida State, this is the year, if there is a year. So what are we looking at? Let's talk a little bit about the struggles Florida State's had as we look forward to this Saturday's game. Yeah, I mean, if, you're right, Josh. If this is there's going to be a year to beat them, this is it. Because I think back in 2017, we were all we were there. I mean, we lost by a touchdown. We were all pretty uh, pretty disappointed because we knew that we were catching Florida State at a downtime, you know, and we're catching them at a downtime again. Uh, 2024 is when we play again. Who knows? By then, they're liable to be. Uh, built back up as a as a juggernaut and we might not be able to beat them in 2024 I mean you just don't know so I really would love to get get off the snide here and get that over record that cut has going against them erased and get it to one win but Florida State has been you know once again relatively unimpressive they do have a win over Carolina which is a pretty good looking win. I mean, even though Carolina probably should have won that game looking back at it, but you know, it is what it is. And they took that L, so GTHC. Um, but you know, their last three games that Florida State has had until their until their break, thanks uh COVID, um, they've been getting blown out. I mean, they they got blown out by Louisville 48 to 16. They got blown out by Pittsburgh 41 to 17. State beat them 38 to 22 in what wasn't wasn't a very close game. Um, their game with Clemson got postponed, so they're, I know they're thankful for that. Um, <laughs> as I would be, too, if Duke had to play Clemson, I would be thankful to get that postponed. But um, if, if this is going to happen, it's going to happen this year. But I just – the last three games with Duke, too, I'm talking about Florida State getting blown out. We've gotten blown out. So I'm not overly optimistic. Yeah, a couple things. Um... Just looking at the the, uh, the depth chart and stuff for the game, um, Florida State only has one upperclassman on their offensive line. They're extremely young on the O line, and then on defense, they have three three of the eleven are seniors. So you know that's not something we've typically seen in the past from Florida State over the years. They usually had eight, nine, ten guys. Um, one of the – I don't know if odd is the word, but we'll go with odd for the time being. They've had a, they've had a slew of opt-outs for different reasons. Uh, James Blackman opted out a couple weeks ago. Their best uh, receiver, Tamarion Terry, or Scary Terry, he opted out. Marvin Williams got hurt. Or Mar- Marvin Wilson, not Williams, I'm sorry. Marvin Wilson got hurt, and he was one of the best players in the ACC. So he ended up opting out. Um, just the other day, Asante Samuel Jr. opted out to declare for the draft. And looking at the list I've got here, they, they also lost Devontae Love-Taylor, Andrew Baselli, who was the backup center, by the way, 
uh, Jaden Lars, and Corey Durden. Uh, that's just eight guys that I – I mean, that's eight. That's a lot. That's a lot to opt out. But um, their defense is not the same without Marvin Wilson and without Asante Samuel Jr. So that is maybe a blessing for Duke in the long run. Uh, we're, we're obviously hoping that it is a blessing. And then having the young O-line, I, I mean, we're still waiting for Big, Big Vic to get that final sack. And we're hoping and praying – that is well. It's got to be this week. There's no hoping and praying. It has to be this Saturday. And one other thing about Florida State, uh, they've been playing musical quarterbacks, and that's part of the reason why Blackman decided he was done. Uh, they've gone with uh, Travis Jordan Travis as their most recent, and that's who's probably going to be the quarterback this this week. And just one other name, and I'm I'll stop to watch on the defensive side. He just came back and just started playing because he was not been healthy. He's Hamsa Nazardine. He's a uh, DB. Before this season, he was all ACC. He has been a great player for four years at Florida State. And I'm, that's one guy I kind of wish he started the season and then stopped. But, you know, we get to face him this Saturday. Just what we need, a great DB out there on the field against our offense. But yet again, this is going to be another mirror game. And by that, I mean the stats are eerily similar. And so far this year, we're 2-1 and one in those games. We beat Syracuse. We beat Charlotte, UNC Charlotte. And unfortunately, we all thought we'd go 3-0 and against Georgia Tech, and we know how that turned out. But in looking at this, Duke averages 378 yards per game. Florida State, 381 three-yard difference. As far as defenses and total yards allowed, Duke, 437 yards allowed each game. Florida State, 464. I think this is the first time where I've seen our opposing team gives up more yards than we do. Um, But as far as yards allowed passing, 196 from Florida State and 184 yards rushing. So that tells me right there we can get our running game back on track after the abysmal performance that we had against Miami. But again, which Duke team shows up? Will it be the Duke team that played Syracuse and Charlotte, or will it be the Duke team that played Georgia Tech? Only time will tell, but if there was ever a time for us to go 1-19, in it is this year as Florida State is going through a lot. A lot of down players, a lot of players not wanting to play uh, for various reasons. Uh, They're depleted right now, and quite honestly, you know, if there was a game for us to end on a high note, it would be this one to get our first one of the program against Florida State. Yeah, one thing I want to point out, though, um, you mentioned those three games, uh, the win over Syracuse, the win over Charlotte, but then the loss uh, against Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech threw uh, a mobile quarterback at us. And as Scott mentioned earlier, you've got – Jordan uh, Jordan Travis, uh, starting at quarterback now for them. He not only leads them in passing, but he leads them in rushing. And I, I believe that's just a recipe for um, some trouble if we're not careful. And what we found out um, with mobile quarterbacks is our defensive ends get happy, get sack happy, and they're up the field very quickly. And that opens up a lot of holes for the quarterback to run. Uh, stepping up in that pocket and just taking off. And um, I'm a little nervous about that for sure. 
Um, you know, that, that would be our player, obviously, to watch would be the quarterback, Jordan Travis. Um, and then here's the thing. If things go bad with Jordan Travis, not that James Blackman has been uber successful, but he is experienced. He's played in some big games. Oh, he's out. My bad, Scott. I apologize. My bad. He opted out. Okay, we're good. Scott's our fact checker. Um, so, so it's going to ride. So even more so then, it's going to ride on the back of Jordan Travis. And so mobile quarterback, uh, Duke defense, usually not a good combination for Duke fans. Uh, but all that to say, uh, looking forward to this game. As, as we've said, honestly, stats match up evenly. <clears throat> Their defense is terrible. If we have an opportunity to win against Florida State, this is the year. And you know what? For, for the seniors on this Duke team, for those who will be suiting up for the last time, there are too many of them to count. But, I mean, I think of our, our D-line. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's Rumpf, um, Drew Jordan, um, Tangelo, and Vic. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a lot there. Um, and we, we've got a lot of players that will be suiting up for the last time. And so, for their sakes, man, how, how great would it be, even in a season that's been riddled with, with losses, to go out on a high note, to get this win. They really need to view this game as kind of their bowl game and go out and get a win. Um, but we'll see. In fact, let's see what we think. Uh, let's talk predictions. Duke, Florida State, uh, this Saturday. Um, I'm going to go first. By the way, <clears throat> in a first, not that there weren't other people who, uh, who picked the, you know, the proper winner last week. Obviously, Miami – uh, was the overwhelming uh, one that everyone picked. But one of us four got so close to this final score, we're going to give the shout-out this week to our very own Jamie Holt. Jamie, remind us again, what was the score that you predicted? Yeah, I predicted 48-6. Uh, to six, And <coughs> I had actually said, you know, to you all before we started recording this, I thought about saying 48 to nothing, But then I said to myself, but nah, surely we can – get two field goals or maybe even a touchdown and a missed extra point, you know, and get six points. But, nope, that didn't happen. Yeah, Jamie grossly overestimated our offense last week and uh, with the six points. So, here's what I'm going to say this week. Um, I've got no reason to put any faith in a win, to be honest with you. Um, and, but I do think the the bat there's gonna, there's two bad defenses on the field. Let's say let's just say it like it is. Duke's defense has turned into a bad defense. Uh, so there's two bad defenses on the field. I believe there'll be some points scored in this game. <clears throat> I'm gonna go Florida State, 37, Duke 23. Florida State 37, and Duke 23. Scott, what do you got, man? Well. Um, I kind of agree with you there. I do believe that a lot of points have been scored. And, uh, you know, we had a chance last year or two years ago. We should have beat them. Cam Akers got us. And then I was there the night that an ACC championship where we just let Kelvin Benjamin catch everything. You know, crab legs just threw it up to him, and he just was catching balls nine foot in the air. But – uh I don't, you know, I'm hoping for a 50-48, to be honest with you. But just knowing how bad both sides of the football are, 
I'm going to say 27-21 Florida State. And I hope to God I'm wrong. I really hope we win because it would be nice to finish the season with a W because another loss just makes for a really long time till August 31st or whenever next season when we finally get to kick off again. Yeah, this is this is a tough one because we got two bad defenses. We got potentially two bad offenses <laughs> that that have been. But like Josh mentioned, they got the mobile quarterback, and that that really kind of solidifies my pick here because it scares me. It scares me <laughs> that the mobile quarterback <laughs> will kind of go crazy on us. I think I'm gonna pick. <laughs> 34 20, 34 27 Florida State Jamie's got a little bit of the uh giggle bug in him oh my goodness <clears throat> well fellas it's not gonna be unanimous this week we have uh crash and burn going unanimous uh the four of us I don't know why I'm a glutton for punishment I uh hey hold on Brian hold on yeah. Oh. Shout out to Ben Swain, man. I shared a tweet, a Ben Swain tweet in the group text. Got Jamie laughing in the middle of his uh, in the middle of his prediction. So shout out to Ben Swain for yet another funny tweet. Now back to Brian. I apologize. <laughs> Jamie is uh, crying right now. I'm looking at the video, but no, I uh, I like I said, I'm a glutton for punishment. I, for some reason, think that Duke's going to pull this one out to, to avoid having the worst record since 2007. Uh, like I said, this is another mirror game, as I like to call them, as both teams are evenly matched. And quite honestly, it's going to be a close one, in my opinion. I think Duke's going to win by a touchdown. Score is going to be 31 Duke, 24 FSU. And if I'm wrong, well, 2020 yet again prevails. What else can I say? But we'll wrap this one up. It's been a fun time. We've had a good time. Oh, one more thing from Josh. Yeah, one more thing, guys. Uh, we will be um, on a podcast. Uh, we're recording a little bit later on this week, uh, a podcast called Knowles Anonymous. Um, and they've invited us on to kind of talk about this game from Duke's perspective. And so as soon as that releases, uh, we'll make sure we link it out. Um, you guys can kind of hear us talk to some, uh, some Florida State Seminole uh, podcasters and kind of get a little bit of a back and forth there of what – each team's looking at from their fans' perspective. So just want to let you guys know about it. We'll make sure we send the link out when it hits. Back to Brian. Yeah, you're doing something when you have the opposing team's podcast reach out to you to want to speak. So we're going places, fellas. Finally, it only took, uh, what, 13, 14 episodes, but we're finally getting noticed. But we'll end on that note. It's, again, been a fun episode discussing old FSU players, kind of getting our thoughts out as we're uh, – you know, another episode closer to the end of this season. But, again, that'll do it for this episode of the Section 17 podcast. We will be back next week for our final episode of the season where we will recap the Florida State game and give our final thoughts on the 2020 Duke football season. As always, be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching Duke Football Talk and on Twitter by searching the handle at Talk. Until next week, for Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, Jamie Holt, and producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been the Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast.